Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip hop anymore. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of The Curb, a podcast that takes a look at Australian culture and says, hey, take a look at it and pay attention. We make some pretty great stuff here. This podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to their elders both past, present and emerging. My name's Andrew Pierce, and on this particular episode I'm catching up with, well, all-round man of uh, many tricks and many skills, Anthony O'Connor, who has a new book out called Strayer. It is a, well, it's a sci-fi post-apocalyptic story and I won't jump into exactly what it is because I'll let Anthony do that in the discussion itself Um, but it is a book that I'm about a third of the way through and absolutely loving to bits right now and I highly recommend picking it up Uh, certainly supporting Australian uh, literature and writers and authors and digging into some genre fiction is what we need right now so head along to your local bookstore your local genre store and go and pick it up and as Anthony says uh, if you are in Sydney there there's a bookstore in Sydney uh, that has a few signed copies as well. So if you want to uh, get on quick and uh, get yourself a prized possession pretty early, uh, head along and go and purchase one of those. So yeah, enough about me because you're going to hear from me in a moment anyway. Uh, Let's jump into the discussion with writer, author, uh, screenwriter, reviewer, Anthony O'Connor. Congratulations on your launch weekend as well. You must be pretty oh, thanks stoked. So much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was a long time coming, and it was one of those things that when it comes, you, you kind of you're so sort of uh, stressed out, and kind of it's it's just such an, an an amazing kind of intense moment that you almost black out just from just sheer oversaturation. So I've been kind of reliving it over the, the last couple of days. And it's been really nice. It was a really nice event. We honestly, I mean, everything unideal happened. We had, uh, I mean, I know you're in uh, WA, but in Sydney, we had another sort of COVID cluster come out. We had a couple of people with cases. So everyone was masked and about a third of the people that were coming uh, had to pull out, you know, because they were um, for various reasons in, in at risk. Um, but yeah, even, even with masks and even with the very unideal situation, it was a really nice event. So that's good. Cool. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the book's live in the world, and that's all that matters. It is. It is, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, hopefully people like it, but it's kind of... It's that stage where you can literally go, there's, there's nothing else I can do. So, you know, it, it, it lives or dies on its own now. It's out in the yeah. world. So, yeah. So are you... I mean, we'll just jump straight into it and into discussion and stuff like that. Um, but are you kind of... Uh, how are you handling it? Is there a free fall at the moment for you? Or is it just like, I've done what I can, I've written it, and that's that's the achievement that I'm proud of? Um, I, the free fall is definitely over. The free fall peaked at the first, at the launch, where I did like a 20-minute reading. And I knew in that moment that like, uh, it, would, it would either sink or swim. I, I know that that's not entirely accurate to how, you know, uh, on, a, on a wider scale, but it just felt in that moment, if this doesn't work, then I know probably the book doesn't work. Um, and it did. It seemed to really land really well. Um, and I think, you know, it is what it is. Uh, if people like that, that's fantastic. But I feel good about its kind of odd rhythms and it's it, it exists and I hope it does well. But I feel like I've done my job here. And so I can sort of, I mean, I, I'm going to say in a step back, I'm not really, but I, I can, th- there's nothing much on the creative side I can do now. So yeah, know, yeah. You just You've done that. Lands. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm part way through reading it now. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it and loving it a lot. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Yeah. So congratulations. It's, it is really quite engaging uh, for people who are listening as well. Can you just give us a rundown of what the story is about and what the book's about? Uh, so Australia is set in a non-specified post-apocalyptic kind of Australia. Um, we, we don't know what happens. Um, it's, it's vague. No one alive can remember uh, for various reasons, but it's post-apocalyptic, uh, Mad Max-ish, I guess, um, dystopia. And in this world, there are mutants now who live amongst the normies, and they are a kind of reviled um, second-class citizen not, not supported by the, the patchwork government that remains and kind of have to make do with uh, what they can. And our hero is a bloke called Franger, who's a 19-year-old mutant with yellow skin and hideous red eyes uh, and double-jointed limbs who has to look after a home of about a dozen mutant children who are either orphans or just abandoned because their parents didn't want them. And he's increasingly senile uh, mentor and father figure called Ken Ages, who has a mysterious past and is is of indeterminate age. Um, and into this world, uh, Franger discovers a kind of strange uh, ancient technology that unleashes a, a, a malevolent force upon the inner city uh, where he lives. And uh, he is forced into action in, in strange and surprising ways as uh, something from the down low rises and starts taking lives and destroying people. Um, and uh, the whole story is told in a kind of uh, fractured, degraded Australian language, which is a mixture of uh, obscure Aussie slang, phonetic sounds, and just shit I made up. Um, <laughs> which which and, given, you know, Australia's, uh, well, Australians uh, penchant for kind of just manufacturing words out of nothing, it feels yeah. very organic. <laughs> I, I could I could see some of this stuff happening in like a few hundred years, you know, and and even now, like Americans are quite right to be baffled sometimes by the expressions and idioms and all that sort of stuff that we come up with. Like, um, uh, I'm not sure if I can swear, but uh, oh yeah, it, go for it, go for it. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, we're not here to fuck spiders. Has to be one of the most wonderfully poetic and bizarre expressions thought up by anyone. In, 
really? When when was that ever a question? Did who thought we were here to fuck spiders? You know, uh, and it's just there's a there's a real poetry to the to the um, to the vernacular um, that I think is it's always appealed to me. I've always loved that. Like there's, there's so many Aussie expressions you just hear and you go, my God, that's beautiful and and so coarse and vulgar but wonderful and poetic and um, I've always enjoyed that. So having a having a kind of society that speaks mostly in that voice uh, is very exciting to me probably very um bewildering to anyone outside of australia so um well you give people a glossary at the beginning so they have an understanding of what's going on which in itself is a delight to read uh there are some words in there which i'm like oh that's the definition of that i've been saying this for years and thought it was something completely different um so that's wonderful (laughs) yeah right there is a um, there's a real Irvine Welsh kind of vibe to it, where you know he oh, yeah. writes with a uh, you know as you read it, you can't help but sound Scottish as you're reading it out because that's oh, yeah. how he writes the words. And yeah. as you read this out aloud, not that many people would be doing that, but as you read it, it makes you sound Australian. How do you yeah. write like that? How do you get your mind in the the mindset of writing Australian? <laughs> Um, I mean, again, it, it comes from a real love of language. I've always been a fan of, of um, dialogue, like throughout the, the sort of films I've done, I've been very dialogue focused and I've always loved the way people talk. Um, and books like A Clockwork Orange in particular, but also Trainspotting, it, it's, it's a novel that you pick up and it's, you just can't read it and then you say it out loud to your mates or to your cat or whatever. And you suddenly understand it. Like it, it takes about 10 minutes and you just click and then it's like, Oh, of course this all makes sense. And then from context, you understand other stuff. It's, it's like learning a language in, in, you know, a, a microcosm. And I kind of, um, I've always wanted to have a situation where that could occur. Uh, as for how I, I wrote it, I mean, it's just, it's a lot of listening. You just listen to the way people talk across all kind of social uh, strata and, and, you know, the way people talk when they're sort of in their, I guess, drunker moments and they kind of let loose these expressions that maybe they got there from their granddads and whatnot. And I just spent a lot of time writing those down. It's like, oh, my God, that's awesome. A friend of mine uh, said, unironically, uh, said he's a good bloke. Uh, he'd lend you his arsehole and shit through his ribs. And I, I just had to stop because they should have sent a, they should have sent a poet. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. Um, and I just thought this, this is pure poetry. This is a beautiful, this is beautiful use of the language. It's vulgar and coarse, but there's, there's such, I don't know, there's such artistry to it. And, um, so yeah, I tried to imbue it with a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and I also think if you're Australian, you've, or or have lived here for a long time, um, you'll probably have a bit of a leg up in understanding it. Uh, It has been read by some Americans, uh, we actually, Tom Savini's got it, uh, the uh, special effects guy, Friday the 13th and um, Dawn of the Dead and, of course, Sex Machine from, from Dust Till Dawn. But his wife is a friend of mine who's Australian, and so she has been, you know, patiently explaining the um, <laughs> some, of the, some of the language use and, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I think Australians probably will have a leg up. But, yeah, most of it is based on stuff that exists, which was extraordinary. Well, I mean, I think back to, like, obviously Mad Max Fury Road, there were a bunch of people who were surprised by, they had no idea what the word faggot meant. Yeah. No yeah. idea. And then, you know, like, I rewatched that last year with the subtitles on, and even though with all the, the sound and the carnage and stuff like that, reading it is a whole different other thing, because yeah. the, the words that are used and chosen um, just kind of immerse you in the world a heck of a lot more. Um, there's nothing oh, yeah. more 
kind of uh, embracing them than language and food itself. Um, so it's, yeah, it's wonderful to read. Um, are you going to do an audio book of it? Whether it's there actually, or there actually is one. Um, oh, cool. Uh, it's, all right. It's out on Google Play at the moment. I think Audible takes another couple of weeks to, to for it to clear all their various um, kind of uh, checking systems and whatnot. But yeah, Google Play at the moment and other places soon. Uh, Justin Smith, who did um, a film I wrote in 2000 called Angst, he was in that, and he's now been in like you know Secret City, and he was in. Um, God, I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, lovely movie from last year about a sort of young lady who's dying of cancer. Um, uh, baby teeth. Baby teeth. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so he's in that. Too. He's in, he's got the most memorable cameo on that. He's the random um, karaoke guy. Oh right. Just yeah. Really passionately sings in one scene. But you, you, as soon as you see him, you go, "Oh, he's in the nine thousand things I know him from." And um, he does such a great job. He really captures it uh, just just wonderfully. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're an audiobook fan, absolutely get into that because it's a great listen. I'm actually listening to it at the moment and it, it does actually feel like, uh, an adaptation rather than, uh, what I wrote, which is great to hear because you're seeing it from a sort of slightly different perspective to your own. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. How, how does that feel for you as well? Like hearing somebody read your words back to you? Oh, well, look, I mean, I, I started on screenplay, so I'm yeah, very, yeah. very used to that. Um, <laughs> but no, it, it's great. I mean, even there's a couple of moments where I kind of think, no, I would have leaned more into that gag or I wouldn't have hit that quite as hard. But there are also moments where you go, shit, this is actually a, a really nice speech that was, you know, I maybe intended it maybe more lightheartedly or, or to be ironic. And, and he finds the sort of pathos in it. And I love that. I love the different interpretations of, of a text. I think that's very exciting um, and, and gratifying, I guess. <laughs> so let's go back to researching this novel as well. How do you go about researching what the future of Australia might be like? How do you go about setting out an organic universe that feels like it could happen? I mean, I think uh, I, um, like a, a lot of uh, people, grew up in the sort of in the 80s under the shadow of the mushroom cloud. Like for a, for a lot of my childhood, I really genuinely thought, you know, society was going to end. I guess we have that now too with, with climate change and whatnot, but there was a, a real visceral terror of, you know, the Americans and the Russians just cracking the shits and, and blowing us all up. Um, and so I, I became very interested very young in what uh, a you know, post-apocalyptic world might be. Um, so, yeah, it, that's been kind of a lifetime obsession because even after the, the mushroom cloud didn't arrive, you still you still got that distrust of the systems that govern us. And um, so, yeah, just a lot of research over the years, um, just sort of reading about how it could be and, and what would it, what would it be like? Uh, but I did find I didn't want to write The Road. As brilliant as Cormac McCarthy's novel is, and it is, um, it's just, it's so bleak. It's just this dense nugget of depression. And I'm, that's just not what I want to write. Occasionally it's what I want to read, but it, it's really not what I want to write. So I kind of had systems in place where no one was starving to death. Um, no one was, uh, you know, f- stabbing each other for water. Things have come back a little bit. Like we had the, the shit fight here. Stuff was horrible. And, and we're about 50, maybe 100 years from that. So there is government again of a sort. There's society of a sort. Uh, people are generally, I mean, you know, obviously massive class differences and, and you know, there's bigotry, which is still a huge problem for mutant kind and whatnot. But we've, we've recovered a little bit. 
because that's more where I'm, I want to tell stories in. I, I really just, I didn't want to tell stories about people stabbing each other for a bottle of water. I just, I wanted to go that next stage a little bit. So um, I think I've probably fudged some of the how it would be, but I, I tried to start on a basis of, of logic and reason and then build from there. Um, yeah, but world building is wonderful, right? Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read well-constructed worlds uh, in science fiction in particular, I, I, I love that. You, you immerse yourself in it like a warm bath. Um, just, yeah, so that's, that's, that was a pleasure and a joy that I've been doing for over, the, over many years. So how did you go about world building? Do you set out your list of characters and set out your list of locations? and Do you do a map or something like that? Um, I mean, yes, to an extent, because I was living in, I mean, I still live in Sydney, but I lived right in the city when I was writing Australia. So I'd sort of wander around, go for walks and take notes and think, yeah, what if, if everything, what would be the first to collapse? Like probably the, the suspension bridges and, and kind of the, the, the stuff that, ha- that needs more maintenance than other things would probably collapse first. Some of these older buildings would probably still be there, but they'd be, you know, in disuse and, and you know, covered in detritus and kind of things that the roads would be gone. So I'd sort of jot down how this could look now and what would we call this once we forgot the name of it, we could see partial signs and things like that. So it was, it was a lot of just walking around imagining 100, 200 years of, of, of rot and disuse and destruction um to then transfer that into a story that was probably the longer process in in fact straya actually began as a concept when i was very young it wasn't called straya at the time i called it uh body shoot uh so i was a precocious kid that wrote a lot of just and um it was a same kind of story like set in set in a destroyed city and um, you know eventually a creature sort of comes from um you know a pit and, and starts rampaging through the city uh but I didn't really have a point of view character then. Like I, cause I, I, I guess I was into judge dread, the, the comics and, you know, blade runner, like every single other nerd in the world. And I was like 12. So there's that, that, that era when you kind of go everything with wide eyed uh, um, credulity. Um, but my, my broad idea was a cop from the rich end of town and a cop from the poor end of town sort of come together and go to hunt down the monster, uh, which super generic and I, I have no point of view for cops like I just don't it's just not a, a character that interests me in any particular way um and and that definitely has become even uh, less of an interest for me over time like I just yeah I, I wasn't sure that's a story I particularly wanted to tell I mean the thing about Judge Dredd is he's often the bad guy in his own comics uh what what's fascinating about Judge Dredd is the world is the you know Mega City One and society and, and all that kind of stuff um, so it never got beyond a premise. There was a creature that absorbed personalities and evolved. There was this ruined city, and I just didn't know who the main characters were going to be. Um, and so that was I left it back in the 80s and the 90s. Every now and then I'd dust it off and go, yeah, this is a cool idea, and then slide it into my drawer of shame. Um, and then about, I think it was 2017, just randomly I had a thought about how mutants living in a... Uh, uh, destroyed society would survive and um if if they didn't just sort of clobber people with sticks and whatnot um and i had an idea like what if mutants put on plays like they'd found a whole stash of like manuscripts from from wherever like complete works of shakespeare and they just started performing in ruins for people and it just it really tickled me like i just i love this idea of these physically uh terrifying uh creatures sort of putting on pleasant you know affable plays for some reason 
And then just out of nowhere, I remembered Body Shoot after all these years. And I kind of thought, well, these, these could exist in the same universe. This, this could be the same kind of thing. Like one story is we've got these affable mutants who were reviled for, you know, usual stupid dipshit reasons people revile the other. Um, and then we have the real other that is actually dangerous and how these, these two kind of plot strands could intersect. Um, and then it was after the races. Like I wrote it really quickly after that. Um, and then sort of edited it and then, you know, tried to shop it around. But yeah, it was like a 20 something year development um, process that ended, you know, only a few years ago. Sorry, my cat is, my cat oh, is deciding to join the chat. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, it, it leans into something that, I mean, you, you're well experienced with this as being a writer of all kinds of forms, but you know, when we write stuff and put out things, the expectation is that that took us five minutes and it's there now and it's done. And readers or listeners or viewers of movies and stuff forget that there might have been a 20-year journey to getting a book completed. Uh, And it's the same with, you know, film criticism as well. It's like 20 years of watching movies has informed this viewing of a particular thing. There's a layered experience. Um, how do you kind of, have you ever kind of um, uh, uh, like received any like, oh, you know, did it take you six months to write this book and just bang it out? Have, have you ever received that kind of um, feedback? Or I mean, like it's, I, I think people really want to know that. I think what, what underlies that question, because I mean, as you know, anyone in the writer caper gets asked, gets asked mm. that all the time. Uh, how long did it take to finish your, your book, yeah. your screenplay, your TV pilot, your website copy, like whatever. It's, that's always the question. Because I think uh, writing is one of those things that people think they could probably do if they had time. So yeah. they always kind of go, yeah, if I had, I could do that. And I, I could take nine months off. Um, yeah, I could write and, Fifty and, Shades of Grey. Like, you know. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I actually, I've had a lot of friends do this as well. And it always, they're, they're always keen as mustard right up until they get to the point where they've got to bash the bloody thing under the page. And that's when they realize, oh, shit, there may actually be some learned skills and 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 discipline involved over the time probably because writers generally look like you know a hat full of assholes and shamble around so that's i, I guess people think that oh, it must be quite easy but um yeah it's uh, so I, I think that's what underlies that question i, I don't resent it but uh, it does make me laugh and it's it, you get it a lot right like it oh yes so yeah. often. <laughs> uh how long did this take to write man yeah i mean so both about 18 months and 20 years is my answer in this case um so yeah yeah um it's a it's something let's talk about the cover art for the book as well because it's striking it's beautiful it It is is so impressive um so so yeah how do you how do you art direct that kind of uh that cover or do you just send the artist a brief and say this is kind of what i want oh no 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 it was it was art directed the whole way um so this guy is called chris wall w-a-h-l and he is uh probably my favorite australian artist i've been following him for a while um i I just love his work he does a lot of kind of like marvel stuff and whatnot he did some amazing tank girl covers um he's like he's a really prolific guy and so good um and it, it just had that that exact tone that i was looking for with australia so I approached him and then sort of went through his agent. We, we negotiated sort of price and whatnot. But it was really, it was a really back and forth um, process. It was great. So I drew 
I wish I had it on hand. I've got it on a file somewhere. I can't find it, but I drew, I hand drew, I'm an okay from a distance. If you squint drawer, like I, I can get the idea of, of dimension and where things are placed kind of thing. Um, so I, I did that. And I mean, you would, you would cackle with mocking laughter if you saw it. So I'll probably dig it out one of these days. Uh, but he got it immediately. Like he understood the tone, he understood the premise and he, he knew exactly what to do. There was, I think, a couple of drafts of the sketch where we just wanted to make Franger look a little more gangly and less sort of heroic, um, like less like a superhero and more like just a, a you know gangly kid bumbling into trouble. Uh, but other than that, he, he really got it. I mean, he understood that it was this kind of uh, heightened Mad Max ex- experience. Um, and, yeah, so we, we got the, the full page of just the cover, of the front cover, uh, and then we loved it so much, we were like, can we make it like a, a, a wraparound? And so we kept adding to it, I think because we didn't want the process to end, it, it just looked so good. Um, so we've ended up with, I mean, you can see it on my wall, this kind of massive, beautiful um, picture that we're inordinately proud of. And, yeah, it's great. And, look, I, mean, I think it, it's so many people, it's, it's the reason that they either pick the book up or even, you know, try to work out what it is. Um, but it was a wonderful process. It really, it really was though. I'm, I'm not trying to be like, uh, you know, um, spin this. Like it was a genuinely great back and forth. And there's so many nice little details, like uh, the the head mongrel, Shelvin the mongrel, or Trevor, um, has a Southern Cross tattoo uh, right on his. <laughs> I didn't right even notice biceps. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just just nice little details and stuff yeah. like that. That he really understood the kind of mix of, of grotesque and humor at the same time and um yeah love it so if you if you're doing a cover for something like this you should absolutely give chris wall a call because uh i love the work yeah it's really impressive and it stands out and that's of course that's the main thing you know uh as kind of miss cover art like that like yeah in the 80s and the 70s god i start many sentences with that Um, (laughs) but anyway in the 80s and the 70s um Book covers were amazing. They were these grotesque works of beautiful art, like they were painted and and textured and gorgeous. Um, often the books would not live up to. Often the books would not live up to these wonderful covers. So I wanted to write something where they actually lived up to the cover. Uh, but they just they, they had such personality, and I kind of miss that. Uh, I don't know if it's because we don't tell that many sort of Mad Maxy sort of pulp stories anymore, so that's why we don't have the cover. Um, but they, covers now seem to be very simple and kind of have, like, experimentations with fonts. And that's fine. Like, I get that's a, a certain style, but I do miss the, the more graphic, um, engaging cover designs. Well, certainly for, for somebody like me who, um, you know, I when I go into the shop and just like every other buyer, like, you want something that kind of stands out and yeah. sometimes the title might do that, but the cover art will just go, all right, I have to pick that up just because the cover art is so good. And the cover oh, art for your book is that good. So it's like, it's going to get people excited, um, which is great. It kind of says yeah. to me that like someone cared enough to, to actually work on it, which is, I'm sure every book was cared enough, but that's, that's how it works on me. Like when I see a really well-designed detailed cover, I'm like, yeah, someone gave a shit. And that's, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It gets me in anyway. So what's up next? Do you, I mean, I know in Perth, at least, we've got Supernova coming up. Is that something that you're going to be attending, Supernovas and things like that, as the year rolls out? 
I mean, uh, uh, sure. Like if, if that sort of transpires and if, if they're into it, um, it is very early days of Australia. We've only just come out. So I, you know, I mean, it's definitely something I'd be happy to pursue and, and check it out. But, uh, you know, they, they might not be super keen at this stage because it's, it's just happened. I don't know. That, that's definitely, that's actually a really good idea that uh, I should sort of follow that. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I would love to follow the book around a little bit and do readings at places and that kind of stuff. And well, where's your ideal who's... place to do a reading as well? Sorry to interrupt oh, you. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, look, to be honest, so I, the, the launch occurred at Galaxy Bookshop in Sydney, which is literally my favorite bookshop. Um, I've been going there since I was a teen, you know, mm. uh, and it's just, it's just wonderful to be there, but it's, it's that kind of environment. Like Australia is an odd beast and in a sci-fi bookshop, it's, it's not so much like it's, it's people get it, but uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if this is the art house coffee crowd kind of, um, kind of book. Um, not to slag off either art house or coffee, but yeah, I just, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's an odd duck. Well, you could bring some culture to them, you know, the art house. I can, you know, I can, yeah. I can do nothing but try. Yeah, uh, but no, yeah, that's 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 the thing. I, I I've never really found that the the divide between high culture and low culture very convincing. I mean, in fact, we had uh, the author Marla Nunn who won the 2019 Los Angeles Young Adult Book Award for When the Ground Is Hard. Amazing novel, by the way, like absolutely fantastic about two girls growing up in Swaziland in the 1960s. Um, and and you know it's a young adult novel, but no one's saving the world from dystopian robots or anything. It's just a story about life in um, you know fairly divided, um, cruel South Africa. Um, and she read Australia and gave us a wonderful review that we put up on social media. But you know she sort of began with, "This is not the sort of novel I normally read, but it's great." I did the same kind of thing. I read hers, and I was like, "This is actually a masterpiece. Everyone should read this." So I think. I think we, we tell ourselves that genres are quite different and never the twain shall meet, but I don't think it's true at all. And I think it's actually relatively new that we've become so prescriptive about it. Uh, maybe it's the way we order online because things need to be neatly filed away in genres and whatnot, but um, there's a lot of crossover in a lot of different books. Um, so, yeah, I guess maybe I feel secure in a sci-fi bookshop, but maybe I should try and you know read it everywhere else as well. But um, well, my, yeah. that would be my deal. Yeah, there is a, I can't remember the name of the company, so I'm not going to plug them, but um, there is a company that's based in, I think it's Melbourne, that basically you send them $100 and they will send you a book from each genre and just be oh, like, really? here, is, here are 10 books, enjoy yeah, them, right. you know, and might be a romance huh. book, might be a sci-fi book. And I kind of think that, you know, break down that genre, the barriers and stuff like that, because um, yeah, yeah. They kind of uh, have been established by society as a whole for no particular reason. Um, and we tend to judge a whole genre based on a book that we fucking yeah. hated. Like, if someone hates horror films, it's usually because they hated, like, some shitty, you know, 1980s Friday the 13th ripoff. Yeah, or um, they saw a Saw like, film and didn't like the violence. They saw a Saw film. They saw Saw 4 and they're like, oh, it's torture porn. And it's like, well, yeah, but don't don't watch bottom of the barrel sequels or, like, ripoffs from the 80s. Like, you know, watch The Shining or The Exorcist or something. Um, and I, I think we all do it. I mean, I, I did another interview where they were sort of saying, oh, you know, I'm so glad you didn't do a YA novel. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with YA novels. Like, again, you're, you're judging it on the, the sort of the, the entries that came in the end of the cycle when sort of the popularity was starting to dwindle. It's like there is great, great books in, in every genre, but YA in particular. Um, you just got to look a little harder. 
Yeah, and um, like, I mean, a couple of years ago, I read um, Meg Caddy wrote a book called Devil's Ballast, which is about Anne Bonny. And it's like, and that's a young adult book yeah, yeah. about yeah. women pirates. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay, great. You see, like the, if we just write off the young adult genre as being uh, Hunger Games and Twilight and stuff like that, then you're missing yeah. out on so much great stuff. Um, Devil's Ballast. I'm absolutely writing that down. It sounds yeah, fantastic. It's really good. Really yeah. good. 300 pages of just easy reading and delightful stuff. Really fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sounds cool. Um, but yeah, you know, go and barge into those coffee shops. Start reading. <laughs> just, just give it a red hot go. Yeah. I mean, I, I read sort of. I read a, a section um, at Galaxy because it was the launch. And you, you don't want to scare them off too much. Uh, that was actually fairly non-violent and as. I mean, still a bit sweary because most of the book is, but but sort of one of the more heartfelt moments about books in general and, and how the kids like to read and put on plays and whatnot. And, yeah, I, I think that's there's, – there's always moments that cross multiple genres, and I think that was one of them. And so, yeah, it, there's, there's stuff to be found in all genres if you look hard enough. And, and if you've got an open mind to it, you know, it's, it's easy just to kind of go, ugh, all that's crap. Uh, and it's not. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we wrap up, because I've taken up a bunch of your time and have been, has been great talking about this book uh, and your work as well, um, is there anything that you kind of want to leave listeners as like a, a tantalizing thing as they head into go and pick up this book after they've listened? Go and support their local bookstore, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that you absolutely support your local bookstore. And if you're in Sydney, there are signed copies of Galaxy Bookshop uh, on York Street in Sydney, right across from the QBB. Um, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe even if it's not Australia, take a chance on a novel or a movie or something from a genre you don't normally uh, peruse. Take a chance on an Australian book or an Australian movie that you don't normally choose. Because, again, you hear a lot of the same cliches that come out. It's like, ah, oh, there are all these, you know, films that are trying to be worthy and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, no, that's, that's not true. That, that's been around, that cliche has been around since the 90s and I was bored with it then. Um, there, there are amazing films out there. Uh, not even that under the surface. I mean, Australia's been on fire lately, um, and and there's some amazing books too. So just you know, take a chance on something local. Uh, read up on on what's been coming out recently. Um, it would be great if it was Australia, um, but if you flat out hate that kind of thing, then you know, try other things uh, in in the genre or a similar genre, and just just broaden your horizons a little bit. It's easy to be safe, uh, both in writing and reading. Um, and you learn nothing new, you stumble across nothing surprising when you stay within the boundaries and you stay within the flags of, of the art that you enjoy. So, you know, at the beach, stay within the flags, don't, because <laughs> darks and drowning. But, but, you know, intellectually and artistically, uh, you know, give it a go. Go out, go outside yourself, look for yeah. something new. Do you have any recommendations of, like, of an Australian film and book that has wowed you lately? Oh. Putting on well, the spot we, now. Uh, no, when the ground is hard is is absolutely um, the the one that I would recommend to everyone. Came out in 2019, so it's not um, like oh, age doesn't to, matter. I think... it's, it's new to me though. When the ground yeah. is hard by Marlon Nunn, uh, and like if, if someone had described the plot to me, I would have gone, "Yeah, that sounds horrifyingly boring." Thank you, but it's beautiful, poetic. Um, I, I ended up, it's like, I'm, I'm going to make it sound like it's a sad novel and it isn't, but I ended up crying through the last three chapters and I wasn't even sure why, like it, because it was beautiful and human and it felt real. 
I guess, in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, and it's the, the title of the book is, is based on an African saying, uh, when the ground is hard, the women dance. Um, and it, it's, I can't really describe why it's so beautiful without going into spoilers, but I just recommend it so heartily because it moved me in ways that nothing had for a while. And so when I talk about going outside the flags, that was me going way outside the flags because there were no head explosions. There were no like mech suited warrior dudes running around. There wasn't a single demon or monster in this entire book, not even a little one. (laughs) Um, But it is a beautiful human story that touched me so deeply and I cannot recommend it enough. Cool. Um, so that, that that would be my book recommendation. Fantastic. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, Baby Teeth, I think, was a wonderful film. So uh, you should watch that. Uh, quite affecting and and uh, very sad at times too. But um, I don't know, just just beautifully realized and well done. Yeah. Um, I think those are both sort of very recent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Baby Teeth was last year. Yeah. Yeah, ben right. Mendelsohn and Essie Davis did really wonderfully in it. Yeah, I, I also thought Josh Lawson was fantastic as Kano in Mortal Kombat. So, I loved, you know, loved him in it. Loved him in it. <laughs> talk about playing against type. Like he was just amazing in that, and um, I, I love to see that. You love to see an actor who's sort of been embraced in this very specific. You know, we've pigeonholed this guy, and then he just takes a role that is so anti everything he's done, and just knocks it out of the park. So, you know, whatever you think about the rest of the movie, I thought it was lots of fun with you know some some dud moments josh lawson's kano is is the reason to attend to be honest so yeah i agree i love that film i thought it was a lot of fun stupid yeah, but absolutely. fun <laughs> yeah yeah which yeah. is you know what you want from a mortal Kombat film i think Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.